Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Welcome back. It's another Fizz Five on the Orange Fizz Podcast Network. Ian Unsworth and John Eads with you. We got a lot to talk about this week, Jeeds. Conferences have been shifting, turning, twisting. The next news might come at the drop of a hat. So what does that mean for Syracuse? Are we going back to the Big East? What's the ACC doing? How does this affect the Orange plans for NIL? And the football season is coming up. It's going to be here quicker than we know it. What's Syracuse football's strength of schedule looking like? How can Syracuse be successful in different aspects of the field? And last but not least, NBA Summer League just wrapped up. So which SU player has the best chance of sticking around in the pros? All that's coming up very soon on Fizz 5. Ian Unsworth alongside John Eads. We're going to start with our big-time topic, conference realignment for number one. Number one. John, we might as well get right into it. UCLA, USC are going to the Big Ten. That doesn't make any sense. But no, it means not at all. that anything can happen now. Anything's on the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ACC could dissolve. The Conference USA could become a power conference. Uh, the AAC could dissolve. Syracuse could go back to the Big East. I mean, everything's on the table. It seems like crazier things are happening, you know, each minute. I never thought in any realm, any world, that USC and UCLA be playing in the Big Ten. I was talking to my grandpa the other day, who's been a Michigan football fan for a long time, and he just can't believe it. Like, it makes zero sense. Um, Personally, I kind of like the way things were done traditionally. I'm sure you do, too. We're both Big Ten guys on the side. Um, But, yeah, everything's just been getting wild, and it's kind of weird for Syracuse because it's leaving them in kind of a gap because they're not a team that's necessarily excelling in any of the power sports, you know, football, basketball, even lacrosse, I guess, if you want to consider that a power sport. So they're not necessarily at a caliber where a conference wants them. And if they don't fit into one of these major conferences, they're kind of just the have-nots. You got the haves in those power conferences and you have the have-nots. And Syracuse is kind of in a gray area right now. And it's a little dangerous. First and foremost, we have to make it clear that all these conference realignments are being done for TV money. USC and UCLA went to the Big Ten because of a massive Fox deal where every school now in the new – what, what are we calling it now? The Big 16? <laughs> I can't tell, 16? yeah. Whatever. The big mass of schools that spans from Southern California to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, how about that bus ride? Holy cow. So it's <laughs> like 48 hours. But the, the Big 16, what it, I'm, I'm calling it the Big 16 from now. Each school is going to make over $100 million in TV revenue per school year. And that is too good to pass on. Yeah. And Fox, with, with anything that Fox has been doing, it's anchored in the Midwest with the Big Ten and Southern California. That's where the big Fox studio is. And USC, UCLA are major markets for Fox. So it made sense for Fox to nudge – you know, those Southern California schools to the Big Ten, just like when we had this whole fiasco with Texas and Oklahoma, it made sense that the ESPN would be nudging them towards the SEC. The ACC, on the other hand, is a whole separate entity. We've got the ACC Network, 
And that's a completely independent TV contract that is in no way, shape, or form going to be restructured. The problem is what happens when a school gets unhappy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, school like Clemson, school like Florida State, North Carolina, one of those big three, even Duke, obviously. Uh, once one of those big schools leaves the ACC, uh, it's going to be really tough to continue to have that prestige of conference. Like you can even go out and add a school like an SMU, I've heard as a possibility, a Houston. Uh, Houston's one of the Big 12, actually, so they, they're off the table. Um, you can't really replace one of those big schools. Um, so I just am a little worried about where the ACC is going to go. And Syracuse is obviously in the ACC and they've struggled in the conference ever since they joined back in 2013. So I just don't really know where they're going to go. What's a little disheartening is that the sport is changing and it's the people with money. It's the TV executives that are changing the sport and it's not, uh, the traditional game that we grew up loving. So, um, you know, I'm still going to love college football and college sports altogether but it's, it's really changed in just the last two years even. And uh, it's a little disheartening, but you know what? You just kind of got to take it and roll with it with NIL, with the college football playoff, with the expansion of college football playoff. Things are changing every day. People aren't happy with uh, the norm, I guess. They always want to be changing things. So you just got to take it and move on and learn to like it, I guess. Right now, the ACC and ESPN have an agreement through 2035 to keep the conference together that's all of the, the usual teams even the miamis and all those like miami i think might be the first team to go just because of how much money is being miami and florida state both because of how much money is being thrown behind those football programs it's not like mario cristobal has made that team a winner yet that's a big old yet there and same thing can be said for mike norvell at florida state but with the traditions and the amount of money that boosters are willing to chuck blindly throw at these programs Miami and Florida State could be the first ones out but either way the TV deal for the ACC is solid and I think the ACC network does as good as possible of a job of promoting every single sport that schools offer and that should be taken into consideration going somewhere else means that you're going to be on ESPN plus which isn't accessible or easily accessible to your your uh, your fans your viewers and going and going to Fox, Fox doesn't have an ACC specific. They had the Big Ten Network, but other than that, you know, how would that change things for your school? So the TV dynamic is one whole thing, but I think we should focus in on Syracuse and what's going to happen to the Orange if things do go with the snap of a finger with the ACC. So focusing in on Syracuse in the grand scheme of conference realignment is topic number two. Number two. If the Orange were to fall victim of an ACC breakup, what happens? I have no idea. John Wildhack doesn't even know. He's the athletic director, right? Uh, he used to work at ESPN? Yeah. He has no idea what, what's going on. So it's anybody's guess. Like if Clemson leaves for the SEC today, like all hell's breaking loose because then other teams are going to follow. The ACC's done. And what does Syracuse join the MAC till they join Conference USA? I mean, that would be a massive step down, at least from a football standpoint. And I think the basketball is the is the torchbearer for the that too. That's what keeps the tradition going. I saw Twitter rumors, and these are only Twitter rumors, no no validity to them whatsoever. People just throwing out what ifs. What if the Big East becomes a viable option? 
it, what if Syracuse is one of those schools that can somehow manage to get maybe once the once the landscape changes, the rules change, Syracuse can take its football to a different conference and keep everything else in the Big East because the Big East still has basketball. It's very high level and it's all regional. The Big East has lacrosse. Villanova, George, Georgetown's a top five lacrosse program that they just took Tucker Dordebeck. But Providence is also that like Marquette has lacrosse. I mean, yes, Marquette's regardless. Like there are still viable sport options. And those are basketball and lacrosse are Syracuse's other rev sports. Those are still very valuable options. And football brings in the most money. We all know this on the big old scheme of things. But in Syracuse, basketball is king. You have to find a way to keep that hoops tradition alive because pretty soon Jim Beheim's headed out. You need something else to hold your hat on. Maybe mm-hmm. the Big East name matters the most. Yeah, that's a viable option. And I wouldn't really mind that because, you know, Big East basketball is still very relevant. They send multiple teams to the tournament every year, aside from the team that wins the tournament. The question I would have is what do you do with football? Because right now the Big East is full of teams that don't really have football. Like Creighton, uh, Seton Hall, um, Providence, they all don't really have a football team. So that's the hard part. It used to be, you know, West Virginia, BC, the teams that are in the ACC right now, most of them, and then some in the Big Ten as well, like Rutgers and whatever. So for that to work, you probably have to get those teams that were in the original Big East back in the Big East. You could have that football. But what you could also do is have the football team be independent. I know that's not uh, a great option because um, you kind of lose that prestige of being in a power conference. Um, That attraction that recruits see is probably a little bit diminished, but it is an option and you can just kind of do it how Notre Dame does it to a lesser extent, obviously, because Syracuse is on no, not the same plane as Notre Dame on the football field. So that's an option too. Um, And then, like I said before, you could also join one of these smaller conferences, Conference USA, MAC, you could even make a new conference. A new conference featuring Syracuse and its football team. Yeah. Huh. That's a real, that's a real interesting proposition. I do think the independent thing is, is a good point. And we might see more and more teams venture into that space because of these rapid changes. Maybe a team on the West coast could be the mm-hmm. first because the PAC 12 is dissolving. Yeah. There are rumors that Arizona's going to the big 12 and, or Oregon could be an independent team. I think that would work really well. Like and that. Oregon has the full backing of Nike. That's and that's a big proponent of their success. They just got a five-star quarterback because of a massive NIL deal that they're giving out to the guy. And Syracuse, while the NIL money is not there yet, still has a, a great level of support. So if the Orange were to go independent, the question is, can John Wildhack, can Jim Beheim, can Dino Babers, or whoever's running the helms of these big-time programs, garner enough support and, I guess, to a lesser extent, enough funding to keep this train rolling? Gary Gate will. I don't think that's a problem in the lacrosse community. Yeah. Gary Gate will handle himself. Can the other two programs keep that moving? Yeah, and it would help if they were in the Big East for basketball and for lacrosse because they have those set schedules. They have the TV deal money. The hard part if you're independent, if you're Syracuse, is just that. I mean, who's televising your games? How are you making money that way? Like Notre Dame has a deal with NBC. They're also Notre Dame. 
Syracuse, I don't know where their games would stream. Peacock? Spectrum News? <laughs> Spectrum News? Spectrum News? I, I have no idea. Um, so that's another hurdle you're going to have to climb. So, yeah, I mean, however you slice it here, Syracuse really needs the ACC just to stay intact. I know they've really struggled in the conference, but being in the ACC I think is better than any other option. Worst case scenario, I think you could go the route of joining the Big East, trying to get football back with that. If not, you go independent or you join a different conference. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. If you're allowed to be in the Big East for a couple sports and then the Mac for football, um, I, I'm really racking my brain. I can't think of a possibility where that's been seen before. But um, they really got to just do what they can to not burn any bridges in the ACC. John Waldeck's done a good job of that, I think, just saying, hey, you know, we're going to stick with the ACC. We're going to go with the flow. We're going to see what happens. We have a deal. We're going to honor that deal. Not like Syracuse is wanted by anybody else anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and then NIL, too. That's just another thing that they're continuing to work on. Um, what we have to remember is that, like, no big-time recruits really want to come to Syracuse right now. Like, there's no reason for them to, at least for football. Basketball, there, there definitely is because the conference tradition and whatnot. Um, but, like, that's the big pull. You need to have the conference prestige, the school prestige, the, the tradition to bring in these big-time recruits. So I'm not sure that NIL is going to play that big of a factor for Syracuse because it's not a great sports school right now to begin with. It would definitely help, but maybe they'll continue to develop that as we go. We've talked about it a lot. Syracuse got off to a really slow start. Like, you know, they were in the airplane. They were going on the runway. They just didn't take off with that. They still haven't taken off, and they're going to have to catch up, I think, if they want to get back to relevancy uh, in both sports. Syracuse needing some football recruiting, I think, in a big-time way. Maybe Adam Weitzman is the guy to kick off that NIL train. He's already thrown plenty of money into the program. It could happen maybe even a bit more. So Syracuse football, though, gosh, the season's running up on us quickly. In almost a month, Syracuse is going to be back in the Dome playing against Louisville, and it's going to be Sean Tucker's year to shine. Why not? I love it. The Orange have some big-time matchups on the slate this year. John, you wrote about Syracuse's strength of schedule on our website, orangefizz.net. We'll talk about that for topic number three. Number three. So, Mr. Eads, since you are the master, where do we start when we're looking at the Syracuse football schedule from a breakdown perspective? Gosh, I mean, there was an article written by Pro Football Focus, I think it was, that had Syracuse's schedule ranked 26th in terms of difficulty in the nation. I think it's way harder than that, though, because when you look at this schedule, you've got two guaranteed wins. You got UConn. I hope UConn's a win. Yeah. And you got Wagner. Other than that, it's all mostly toss-ups. Like, it's all 50-50, 60-40, 65-35 games in terms of confidence. Um, you got a couple of really good teams on there that you just know Syracuse is not going to beat. Um, thinking Notre Dame, thinking Clemson, thinking NC State. So when you want to look at this schedule, you got to break it down in halves. You got the first half, six games, and then six in the back half, of course, makes 12. Um, you've got to stack your wins up in the front of that schedule. That's where you're seeing most of the easier toss-ups, the more likely wins, I think. You start with Louisville. That one's going to be tough. They've just dominated Syracuse the past couple of years, but but it's the season opener, you're healthy, you're at home, you know, all of those factors are going to play in. But we haven't really seen Syracuse play Louisville at full strength because they always play in November, later on in the season. And by then, Syracuse just can't compete with these other ACC teams because they have no depth. So that one's going to be interesting. Then you've got uh, UConn week two, then an interesting couple of games against Purdue and Virginia. 
Purdue can score the life out of the football. They're a very intriguing team, took down a couple of top 10 teams last year, but that's a winnable game. Virginia's also a winnable game. Then you've got Wagner and then NC State. So the first half is manageable. Syracuse is going to have to win, I think, at least four games out of that first six because the back half's awful. you got the tougher ACC teams. You're going on the road. And Dino Babers, I heard this yesterday, um, he's like 6-18, and 18, I think, is the number in games that are in November and later on in the season, which is obviously not good. I agree. The Dino in November trope has long now been a thing. Uh, for me, the game that I'm looking at as a buffer of sorts is this Virginia game. It's right before mm-hmm. Wagner, which should be – an easy win. So you've got that cushion of not having to, I mean, let's be honest. If you're really scouting Wagner, if you're really digging into that film, if you're really looking ahead, uh, I don't know about that, but this Virginia game is going to be a tough one. It's Mm -hmm. a Friday night game in the dome. It should be popping, right? I would really hope so. First ACC game of the year, end of September, like that is prime football season, but again, it's on a Friday at seven. So, like, I mean, I hope so. They might be one and two at that point, and they may have let everybody down in the Louisville game. But you don't really need the dome to be full; just like even half capacity, yeah. it's so loud in there. It, 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 it was the same way against Liberty. It was three quarters yeah. away full, and you couldn't hear yourself think. Mm-hmm. So, I'm expecting a great orange showing from the crowd against Virginia, and then you have the buffer week against Wagner. I mean. Come on now. And then NC State. And that, that NC State game is going to be extremely tough. So that, that crop of three games, I think, is where we're going to find out what Syracuse has to offer. Last year, it was a little delayed. You had the non-conference all loaded at the beginning. And let's be honest, Syracuse fooled us a little bit in the non-conference. We got excited. And then at the end of the year, big old letdown. So – this year, there's no room for that because you start right away with a Louisville team that's run you out of the building the last couple of times. So mm-hmm. it, it, if Syracuse gets its butt handed to it on opening day, well, you know, that's uh, it might happen. So I think those three games, the stretch of Virginia to NC State, are the most important games of the Syracuse season to figure out how does this team shoot forward through that stretch and finish things. Yeah, I'm with you. I've got Syracuse at three and three through the first six games. Um, wins being UConn, Wagner, and I think they do beat Virginia. I think that's going to be a tough one. You're going to have to score a lot of points to win that game because their offense is just prolific. But they lost their head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach, two of those three, the latter two. Now it's Syracuse and that coaching staff. So that's going to be an interesting game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this team, uh, after that NC State game, there's no guaranteed wins. The ACC from top to bottom is really good, really consistent this season. So they're really going to have to stack those wins up at the top. And it's a really tough schedule. Um, so I kind of understand why Dino Babers isn't on the hot seat for this year. John Wildhack said that because no matter how talented this team is, there's just more talent elsewhere in the ACC. I think the biggest swing game, though, the last thing I'll say is this Louisville game. If they win that, like they could snowball in a good way and start to stack up some wins because they're gaining that confidence. You got UConn right after that. Maybe you take that confidence into Purdue and win that game. And then you just continue it against Virginia. If they lose that game, you know, I feel like everyone's going to be sold on this team already in week one, everyone inside the building is going to be down. So I think that's a must win. Unfortunately, I just don't see that happening. That game could be tough. Louisville is man. Scott Satterfield really knows how to take it to Syracuse. That's yeah. 
It's that stretch zone game that gets the orange every single time. All right. And we talk about defensively in the run game. That's where we're headed for topic number four. Syracuse football could really get things going if. Number four. Topic number four is something we've discussed already. Almost ad nauseum, but it's worth bringing up again, especially as we're talking about strength of schedule. Syracuse football, according to Ethan Frank, one of our writers at orangefizz.net, is going to be successful if the Orange can win in the trenches. And that's a big-time question against Louisville and a lot of other teams on this schedule. I'd agree. I just don't know if they will. So that's something that they'll definitely have to take care of this year. But you kind of split it into two hairs here. you got the offensive trenches and then the defensive trenches. Starting with the offensive side, that's the better outlook for Syracuse right now. The offensive line has a really solid core and really eight guys that can come in, rotate, and play some good ball. I mean, this this used to be the like the worst position group on this football team two years ago, three years ago. Like Tommy DeVito's in the backfield. He's running for his life uh, like it's a zombie <laughs> apocalypse or something. He's playing a game of tag. And just taking sacks, fumbling, throwing picks, throwing it into the, into the stands. But two years later, based on how Syracuse has recruited, how they've developed, how they've brought in transfers, this is now one of the stronger position groups on the team. So I think they will be successful in the trenches this year. They were last year. I mean, Sean Tucker set records on the ground game for what he did. Now, I think pass protection, there's a little bit, you know, there, there was some something to be desired there last year. So if they've worked on that over the offseason, that'll help them. But this unit, I would say, is in the top half, at least in the ACC. It can hold its own against anybody. The questions really come in the defensive side of the ball where conversely Syracuse hasn't recruited well they've lost players to the transfer portal they haven't brought players in from the transfer portal that they've gone after and now they got some serious problems because you're running a 3-3-5 and you don't have a defensive lineman one that has consistently started over the years hasn't been a, a big contributor over the years and isn't even over 275 pounds it's like you don't have a nose tackle which is pretty important in 3-3-5s so I don't know how you could expect to win in the trenches when that's the case Terry Lockett's going to be asked to do a lot. Caleb Okuchupu on the edge still. He's not that big of a body. Uh, I mean, 270 is not exactly desirable. You want run pluggers. You want guys that will fill up a gap and a half. And right now, the Orange don't have it. And, John, I think you make a really great point about the transfer portal. Guys have left, and they have not come back. Uh, Syracuse is not getting equal returns in that department. And especially with defensive linemen and the way Syracuse recruits, you can't expect to get fully polished guys who are going to come in and play out of high school. Mm -hmm. A lot of Syracuse's guys like the Francois Noltons of the world or the Dennis Hakezes, who both played a lot in the spring game, which we both saw, but they, they need more seasoning. They need more weight. They need more strength. They need more time to learn playbooks and read fronts, all that sort of stuff. Guys in the transfer portal have already done that at maybe a high level for two, three-something years, you bring that in right away, and it's plug-and-play. Dino Babers doesn't have to worry about that sort of thing, and Tony White can go back to coaching his strong suits, which are the linebackers and the secondary. But instead, because Syracuse is unsuccessful getting these transfer guys, we're back at the point where it doesn't matter how well the linebackers and the safeties and the corners can tackle, they're going to be tackling five, six, seven yards down the field. Because if the defensive line doesn't get any push, Marlo Wax, Stephon Thompson, and Michael Jones are going to be flowing backwards to get the football. 
They're not able to charge up and plug things up, attack the football. And those guys are some of the best in the country at it. But if the Syracuse defensive line is not strong, it removes the rest of the defense's strong suits. There's only so much the linebacker room can do. I, like this has been the growing sentiment that everybody's been talking about over the offseason. Well, the defensive line is not great, but it's fine because we have one of the best linebacker cores in the ACC. Well, no, I mean, football doesn't really work like that. You need all 11 players to, one, have a job and do that job. You can't rely on Mikel Jones, Stephon Thompson, Marlo Wax, and Jason Simmons, whoever's playing safety, to come up and help in the run game and shut down run games. That's why you have a defensive line, guys that plug gaps, um, hit the running back out of the backfield initially, and the linebackers come in and clean it up. It doesn't work the other way around. We, we've seen this defense try to do that against Duke a couple of years ago. Remember that game where they had oh, Duke gosh. running left and right for touchdowns? Oh, Liberty that gosh. year? Oh. It just doesn't work. You need players that fit your system, and it's really just disappointing because the three-three-five has been a thing for this team for what's going to be going on its third year now. They haven't recruited to the system. I don't understand what they're waiting for. What's going wrong? You know, you're missing out on the top prospects. I get that. But you got to get some bodies to at least fill the position group. You got to go out and get some 300-pound guys that maybe aren't that athletic, some 285-pound guys that maybe are some tweeners. You got to find guys that you can develop into players that can fit your system. And then, like I said, you have to hit on the transfer portal. You had Jared Verse, who played college football at UAlbany, a stone's throw away from Syracuse, pretty much. You missed out on him. He goes to Florida State. And they're not going after other guys from, say, D3, D2 school, not D3, D2, FCS. You know, they're not going down to those lower levels. Well, I guess Jared Verse is lower level because he was at UAlbany, that's FCS. They're not going down to those lower level schools like the James Madisons, the North Dakota States, and grabbing some of those guys that have played high-level college football and produce. I don't really understand why. There was also Cam Good, who was at UCF. He was a 300-pound defensive lineman. Instead of coming to Syracuse being a starter, he's going to Michigan to be a backup. I don't know what's going wrong, but the problem really stems from the fact they haven't recruited to their system, and they're going to pay, to pay the price this year. They're probably going to pay the price next year, too, because the outlook of this position group is just awful at this point. If you don't have anyone that's had success in your system and has gone on to be successful in the pros, then there's no way you're getting anyone from the transfer portal. And Syracuse's last D-line success story, I mean, maybe we're talking Alton Robinson here, who's, you know, hanging around with the Seahawks. But Chandler Jones is the last real Syracuse defensive line success story. And first of all, he's a beast. Second of all, he played college football before John and I were in high school. <laughs> so – yeah. It, you need someone to have success in your system, especially the three, three, five, which is not a, it, it is a pro system, but it's not a pro system. You know what I mean? Like nobody's teaching three, three, five principles at the not NFL yet, no. level. No. They have a lot of nickel dime packages, but no mm -hmm. one's teaching three, three, five principles. So you need someone to be successful in your system and show the rest of college football that, Hey, it's possible to come to Syracuse and then you start that trend. Syracuse isn't getting any Jordan Davises. They, they need guys who are under the radar who they can develop and hopefully just, just be good enough. That's all mm -hmm. I need from the D-line this year or maybe in the next couple of years. Just be good enough that it gives the talent on the back end a chance. I wouldn't even say the D-line was that good last year, but they had guys that like somewhat fit their system. Like Cody Roscoe was a big dude. He had a nice season. You had McKinley Williams, who was still undersized to be a nose tackle, but he was at least something. 
and you had Josh Black, too, and then some other guys that have passed on Kingsley Jonathan, of course. Um, now they've got nobody this year. And last year, it, it did work, I think. Like, in the Dome, at least, Syracuse was really good on third down in short situations, winning in the trenches and getting teams off the field. Now, you could probably credit a lot of that to Mikel Jones and the linebacking core as well. But those are the kinds of plays, those are the kind of situations that you're going to have to dominate if you want to win these games. Because like we outlined already, so many of these games that Syracuse will play this year are winnable. But you're going to have to do these things. Win on third down, stop the run, turn teams one-dimensional. Can Syracuse do that? I don't think so. So I think this year it's going to really rely on the offense to put up points for Syracuse to win games. Because they will win in the trenches on the offensive side. The offense works the defense Uh, Not so much (laughs) just yet. Speaking of offense, Syracuse basketball is a couple players kicking around in the summer league, which just wrapped up last night. So we asked the question, which of Syracuse's three now NBA players can stick around and actually make the pros? That's topic number five. Number five. Three options here, John. They're pretty clear. We got Buddy Bayheim, who's on a two-way contract with the Pistons. Jimmy Bayheim, who's kind of hanging on with his brother. And we've got Cole Swider, who has actually been excellent for the Lakers. He's also got a two-way deal. I, I, I mean, look, I hate to disregard Jimmy like this because he had a great season. But the, the two guys that have the best chance to stick around are Buddy Bayheim and Cole Swider. So which one do you think? actually makes it in the NBA well buddy's been looking good I think he started his third consecutive game yesterday so I've kind of been happy with what he's done for this team he kind of got off to a slow start didn't really play the first game but from there he got a lot of playing time and he was producing too he was scoring points he was giving it his all on defense trying his best but I have to go with Cole Swider just the way he's been shooting the basketball the way he played consistently he had a couple of down games where he only had like five points, six points, and missed a couple of shots. But he's been really good defensively, too. He's had some blocks. He's played good man-to-man, one-on-one defense. That's kind of always the question mark with guys coming out of Syracuse, obviously, because they play the 2-3 zone. How does that translate to the pro game? But Swider's been lighting it up, and I think that there's room for him on this roster to maybe not, like, be a contributor, but somebody that could sit on the bench and be an option for the Lakers. We're recording this on Sunday. Last night, Cole Swider had a team-high 16 points for L.A. in the final summer league game for the over the Dallas Mavericks. And it was a 95-84 win. So, yes, summer league is, is uh, just a, a petri dish, an experiment of sorts for NBA teams. But Swider has proven that he can make it work. And he's had 21 points game, 18-point game, 16-point game. It's, it's mostly threes. And it's there's some, you know, fake the three, get to the basket as well. But as you said, John, the Lakers – don't have a whole lot of options. The Lakers have LeBron James. They have Anthony Davis. They have Russell Westbrook. That's a lot of their salary cap space. They need cheap young dudes that can fill it up at a, at a market price. Cole Swider might be a premium three and D guy, maybe not premium, but for his age, for his cost, he's someone the Lakers should really take a look at. Buddy Bayheim's got more of an uphill climb in my opinion, because the Pistons are, starting their rebuild, they've got acres of young dudes standing around. Mm-hmm. And Bayheim is one of those guys now. He's not he's not the son of Jim Bayheim anymore. He's not royalty in the 315. He's one of those guys trying to make the NBA. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the more likely scenario for Buddy is that he he has he's on a deal right now with the Pistons. They did sign him. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, on the other hand, just a summer league deal, so his future is uncertain right now. What I could see happening is Buddy gets picked up by a different team that maybe has some extra room and is looking for some other players um, and has some open spots on its bench, and maybe he'll go and play some games for them, try to work his way onto that roster, go try out or whatever. Um, I see that as a more likely scenario because the Pistons, like you said, um, the way they've drafted the past couple of years, the way they've added talent from the free agency, and they've cleared up that cap space. I just don't know that there's room for a guy like Buddy Beheim, who's a good shooter, but he's not necessarily a great athlete. I just don't think he'd be able to hang. Jimmy, I think he's done. I mean, he could try and work his way into a different roster, but there's no room for him on the Pistons. I, I see him going overseas and playing over there, playing in the G League, or just doing something professionally because he has a nice degree from Cornell and oh, now yeah. he's doing the grad program. So he's going to be just fine. But yeah, I think Cole Swire is the most likely option just based on the way he played in summer league, the way he's really getting after. Like this is his one chance to make a team, make a name for himself. He went undrafted. He flew under the radar, didn't exactly have the best season at Syracuse, but he's really taken the most um, and taken advantage of this opportunity. So um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Swider's, you know, continuing with the Lakers past uh, preseason into the season. Swider has a two-way deal and Buddy Bayheim has a two-way deal, meaning they both can bounce back and forth from the Lakers roster, the Pistons roster, to both teams' respective G League clubs back and forth throughout the NBA season. However, there are only amount of, there are only a certain amount of times you can spend on the, the NBA roster. It's like the major leagues where you call players up and down from AAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I agree. I think Swider is the more uh, I'd say the preferable option for NBA teams. He's bigger. He's got larger wingspan, bigger body, plays better defense. Again, you know, there's not much defense to be had with either of these guys, but Swider, it seems like, is making you know, slow but steady progress on that end. And his shooting right now has translated quicker to the NBA game. I think that'll wrap us up here on Fizz 5 for John Eads. I'm Ian Unsworth. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can always check out our content, orangefizz.net, and also on Twitter at orangefizz, also the SoundCloud at orangefizz. Once again, thank you for tuning in to Fizz 5, and go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.